This is a podcast by Wellhouse Church, where we take a closer look and dig a little deeper into this week's sermon. What's going on, Bible nerds? We're talking about the first Christian sermon in the post-Jesus era, so let's take a closer look. That is true. This is, minus maybe some that are preached by Jesus himself before his ascension, um, this is the first sermon recorded in the Gospels post Jesus's ascension. Mm. This is the first, this is the sermon that you could, you could point to and say, this is the sermon that was preached at the birth of the Christian church. Right. So note to self things said here, probably really important. Yeah, for sure. And there's a lot of really important things that happen here. So, we didn't cover it in last week's episode, but verse 13 in the subsection above it ends with, but others sneered and said they are filled with new wine. So they think the tongues and all of the divine moments that are happening here are happening because they're, they're drunk. drunk. Yeah. These are the bystanders watching. And then the text picks up a verse 14. And says, but Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and listen to what I say. Indeed, these are not drunk as you suppose, for it is only nine o'clock in the morning. Before we move on, notice, and every time I read this, I point this out. So if you've been a listener to all of our podcasts for very long. I'm sure you've heard me talk about this. Notice he didn't say, they're not drunk because we're Christian. We don't drink. Mm-hmm. It's, we're not drunk because it's only nine o'clock in the morning. Yeah, we're not drunk because we're not luscious. We're not We're not drunk because it's only the third hour of the day. Right. Like, <laughs> yeah. It's so funny to me. It leaves you open for interpretation for what happens later in the day. But like. It really does. <laughs> it really does. It leaves you open for interpretation of what happens later in the day. But right here... They are definitely sober. They are definitely sober. And Peter's reasoning... Is that it's still Is too that early. it's too early. Yeah. And so what that leads me to believe is that like, hey, Peter, Peter probably drank wine. Mm-hmm. Jesus definitely drank wine. Yeah. Like, there's no abstinence of alcohol here. Right. And even in the context of drunkenness, if it were really that big a deal, right? This is the first Christian sermon. This is about yeah. to be the sermon that sets the trajectory of the church. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. For something like alcohol, if it were an issue, mm. you kind of feel like this is an easy, organic moment to talk about it. Yeah. And Peter has no problem. Mm-hmm. Other than, hey, it's too early for all that. Yeah. That ain't what this is. Right. But he could have done an ethical, moral teaching. So. And he didn't. So, hold up. We have to ask a question here. Okay. Peter does not seem to think that it's five o'clock somewhere. That is correct. Peter does not seem to think that it's five o'clock somewhere. So. 
Food for thought. Food for thought. Yes. Yeah. Peter. Yeah. You are right. Peter does not seem to live according to the five. It's five o'clock somewhere rule. Mm -mm. Still a dope song. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) a great song. But uh, maybe Peter doesn't abide by it. uh, Clearly not. So. I just I always want to take the opportunity to point it out because in the tradition that we grew up in, I really thought that like drinking alcohol was like one of the most heinous things you could do. That's kind of how I felt too. Um, well, you even for the longest time had a like a like self pledge yeah. that like you wanted to live your entire life never having had tasted alcohol. Mm-hmm. Man, those days feel so long ago. They do. Um, I gave up on him pretty quick, but I mean. I mean, from the time that at I was... At 16? Yeah, 16 And you came up with it at, what, like five? Yeah, five or six, something like that. I mean, about 10 years, but like in... You've lived more of your life under that rule than not. I mean, I guess that's fair. I guess that's fair. So, I mean, it's not like... It feels like I gave up on it pretty quickly. Yeah, but when you actually take a step back and look at your life... It's really not. It's comparative like a, i mean eventually when you're 50 yeah yeah you'll be able to say i gave up on it pretty quickly but right. currently i mean you've lived 11 years of your life under the excuse me under this rule right and you've only lived how old are you 22 yeah about to be 23 yeah so you've only lived six years without Actually it drinking yeah that's fair so Actually, it's like your point um that's very fair. Anyways, to your point, though. Yeah. No, Peter doesn't live according to the rule. It's five o'clock somewhere. But also, we're not in festival season. I mean, we are, but right. like wedding season, like celebration stuff where they go on for five, six, seven days. Mm. Um, I think Peter might live according to that rule. I mean, I mean, it's I mean, inference. I mean, scientifically, it is five o'clock somewhere. So, like, well, it is, but there's also the question that does that give you the right to drink all the time, like no. at any time of the day? No, well, right? Like, well, I mean, there are some. I don't think it's great to just wake up and pop beers at eight a.m. Right, and get plastered like, at eight a.m. Yeah, but like sometimes when. Like a brunch cocktail here and there, like I think that's fine. Yeah, or like if you if you show up to a a, a football game mm. and you got a little bit of tailgate going on and mm. you crack a beer at nine thirty because you got to go into the game at eleven thirty, mm. have a couple beers before the game. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think the problem is always overindulgence, but we it's, have yeah we have deviated dead really horse far. dead horse. No, it's only nine o'clock in the morning. Verse 16. No, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. In the last days, it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon my slaves, both men and women, in those days I will pour out my spirit, 
and they shall prophesy. It makes sense to me, based on the setting and the way that Luke has established the narrative up to this point, Mm -hmm. that the entire moment that's happening here is the revelation of God's power by breaking down social exclusion structures. Yeah. Na- uh, nation, race, tongue, all broken yeah. down. Now we reach this point that we've got gender equality, sons and daughters. Right. We'll prophesy. We're getting rid of ageism. Right. Young and old men have a part in this. Right. And slave and free people have a part in this. And you know what they all do? They all prophesy. Now, let me show you something. Let me let me learn you a little bit of beauty here, Clayton. Okay. Always willing to learn a bit. Of if you turn over, this prophecy is found in Joel chapter 2. Now, what is Joel, Clayton? It is one of the minor prophets, right? It is one of the minor prophets. Good job. Thank you. And so, this happens in Joel chapter 2, beginning of verse 28. Then afterwards... I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Even on the males and female slaves, in those days I will pour out my spirit. Do you notice anything missing from Joel's version versus what Peter says in chapter 2? Yes, but I need to compare real quick. Give me a second. I noticed that there's something different, but I have to look at it. Go ahead. In Joel chapter 2, verse 29, this is the equivalent verse of verse 18 in Acts. And the text says, Even on the males and female slaves in those days I will pour out my spirit. That's the Joel text. The Acts text says, Even upon my slaves, both men and women, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. Mm Mm-hmm. What's the difference? And they shall prophesy. Peter adds that clause to the Joel text. Got you. He quotes everything else or just about everything else verbatim, but he adds that kind of clause. And they shall prophesy. Why do you think he would do that? Well, if you kind of connect it to what we talked about last week um, with God breaking down the language barrier to communicate uh, the deeds of God, um, anyone who's been touched by the Spirit now has the ability to communicate the needs of God in some way. Maybe not in that same way, like speaking in tongues that way, but they now have the ability to communicate that. Yeah, 1,000%. Um, 
I do think that is the purpose, is that what's happening is, remember what Jesus told them in Acts 1.8. Most questions in the book of Acts can be answered by asking the question, how is this impacted by verse 1.8? What does Acts 1.8 say? But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So what does it mean to be a witness? It means to to give proclamation. Yeah, yeah, to to give testimony, to provide through language, yeah. eyewitness account, um, provision of the way this has impacted my life. Yeah. I need to communicate this. Right. This is something that is impactful in my life and I could see being impactful for other people's lives, so let's communicate this. And Jesus says, you will go and do this. Yeah. This is what you are supposed to do. And so Peter adds, and they shall prophesy. Breaking down, technically in this one, you're breaking down every barrier in this one sentence. Mm-hmm. You have slave and free, men and women, And all will prophesy. Young and old. Well, I'm talking about just 18. And if you're looking at all of it, there's not a single construct that's not broken down. Right. You cannot come up with one. Maybe, maybe if you interpret eunuchs as the sexual other of the ancient world, Mm -hmm. which you probably should. Probably should. Um, it's not 100% apples to apples because lots of times people became eunuchs not by choice. Right. Um, but because it was forced upon them. So you you probably should treat eunuchs as the sexual other of the ancient world. But you also... Um, Be aware that it wasn't always by choice. Well, yeah. Well... Largely... And they're not listed here. Right. So, like, you could make that argument that that barrier may still exist, but if you are going to make that argument, then this book is going to break that down in chapter 8. Really quickly. Real fast, that's going to be broken down. So, literally, every major exclusionary construct that we've built in our modern culture, or in any culture, right? Right. Because every culture has exclusionary elements. Every culture has them. And in one moment, it's broken down mm-hmm. by the power of the Spirit. Mm-hmm. The way in which God has chosen to indwell yeah. each and every person. Well, and even down to giving everybody the same job. You know, and to prophesy. To prophesy. Yep. We all have the same purpose. To prophesy. Yes. We all have the same mission of being a witness, of which prophecy is a piece of that. Right. Um, but so is so many other things, like caring for the poor and um, justice initiatives and mm-hmm. those such things. Right. Um, all of which goes back to the being a witness thing. Correct. Correct. Living out the... 
the mission of Jesus in and of itself, I would say, is a witness. Say that again? Living out the mission of Jesus and doing Jesus' things is being a witness, I would argue. Oh, 1,000%. There's no question. Um, That's the epitome. Yeah, exactly. Of being a witness. Yeah. Do living out the teachings of Jesus. Correct. And I don't really have time to go through it. Right. But that's the second half of Peter's sermon mm-hmm. is grounding all of this in Jesus. You know, I heard Tim Mackey say in a podcast recently on the book of Acts that the title, The Acts of the Apostles, is a later edition that originally it wasn't called that. Um, and if you were going to call it anything, according to true ancient biographical um, naming systems, which is the acts of so-and-so, right? if you were going to name the book of Acts after anyone, according to an ancient biography, what you would have to name it is the acts of Jesus through the Holy Spirit. Hmm. Interesting. He's 1,000% right. Yeah. It's not actually about the apostles at all. They're just the mediums through whom God has chosen to use. But this book reveals the power of God through the Holy Spirit, that the the work of Jesus has not ended as Jesus ascended, but that God has found a way to distribute that back in mass so that all of us can walk as little Jesuses, as little Christ, as Christians. That is what our name means. Right. And actually, it was intended to be derogatory in the it, beginning. It was. <laughs> Just remember that. It was a pejorative. And he grounds the rest of it, like the rest of his sermon is grounding it in Jesus, yeah. which I don't have time to do. But verse 36 really encompasses the heart of what the entire thing is saying. Therefore, let the entire house of Israel know with certainty that God has made him both Lord, made him both Lord and Messiah, this Jesus whom you crucified. Excuse me, crucified. Messiah is the word that any Jew would hear and be like, light bulbs, screaming, like that's what we're all waiting on. Messiah is the person that's going to restore all of this, that's going to bring it back to the way that we need to be, that Messiah is going to bring about redemption and salvation. This section, the first section of the sermon, ends like this. And I will show portents in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and smoky mist. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the Lord's great and glorious day. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Hmm. Messiah has brought salvation. Messiah has brought redemption all in this moment Mm. through the power, quote-unquote, power yet not really power, of the Holy Spirit, this divinity that has chosen to come and indwell in each and every one of us 
that Messiah has shown up to enact restoration and redemption and justice and all of these things and calling us to an inclusive lifestyle that exclusion is no longer the way. And in this moment, he says, I'm going to get rid of all exclusion and I'm going to level it all back out because all of you, men, women, race, color, nation, people, creed, slave or free, you're all going to do your part and you're all going to prophesy and that prophecy is going to be that Jesus is Messiah and any who calls on that name will be saved. If you want to know the power of the gospel, if you want to know the power of the Holy Spirit, it's that salvation is found in Messiah. Power is salvation, not triumph.